Okay, thank you everybody for joining us today for another episode of MatchCast. We are very excited to be joined today by uh, a friend who has been very helpful to our business and many others throughout the city and country, Andy Crestadina. Andy is the CMO and co-founder of Orbit Media. Andy is an international top-rated keynote speaker, the author of Content Chemistry, the illustrated guide to content marketing. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. This is awesome. I love that we're doing this. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, yeah. So excited to have you. Andy is one of those people in town and in industry that is just first helpful. I've seen him add value to our business, to plenty of other people. I have heard say similar things about Andy. Andy is a walking embodiment of help others first, and then value will come back to you. So I want to start by saying thank you for joining us. And thank you again for everything that you've done for people here without really looking for any repayment. I'm a fan of MatchNode. You guys are the easiest people to refer them to. I've never been in a bad meeting with you. We have future <laughs> clients and friends, and it's been great collaborating. Thank you so much. And that's a good jumping off point into the ways in which you know our businesses are complementary. We specialize in paid social, as you know. Andy, why don't you give us a brief overview of Orbit Media and kind of how the business and you got to where you are? Sure. So web design and development started in 2001. Started to do, we were like an outsourced partner to digital agencies in the beginning because at that time, a lot of agencies didn't have development or programming in house. So it wasn't for a few years before we got good enough at marketing to generate some leads ourselves. And so I've been doing search and analytics for about 18 years, and I've been doing content and social media and email marketing and strategy for maybe the last 11 years. Yeah. So you and I believe in all the same channels and we're fans of the same strategies. We do a lot of event marketing ourselves. You mentioned the book, but basically it's a, this company is four and a half million a year with 36 people. And it's a completely 100% content marketing positioning. Basically people come to us because we're not doing any paid or outbound whatsoever. Right. So you're referring to, if I'm correct, content marketing as a lead generation strategy for Orbit Media. That's right. And Orbit Media is building websites for those people who may come in off your website via a piece of content or something organic that you put out there strategically. Exactly right. Great. Well, again, so we're focused on paid and paid social as being you know, our main focus. And that is something we've learned over the years that is more of a B2C focus. You, as Orbit Media, focus more on B2B options. How do B2B versus B2C play on these various channels, whether it's a long-term organic uh, content marketing play or something that's more like we need a direct response today. Right. So I've had this conversation recently. I'm not sure that the biggest distinction is B2B versus B2C because there are, if B2B is supposed to be more complex decision, that's not always true. There are B2B decisions like I'm drinking out of this branded coffee mug and that was mostly a transactional kind of decision. Then there's B2C decisions like I just came back from a conference, which was about senior housing. Like, where do I want to live for the rest of my life? That's a huge decision, right? High consideration. Yeah. yeah. So I think that more important than B2B, B2C is high consideration or versus low consideration. Or is it a consultative sale versus a more transactional sale? So 
in my category, for sure, it's a very consultative decision. It's a classic B2B multiple decision maker, long sales cycle process. It takes people weeks or months sometimes to decide who to hire for their website. But B2B content marketing is just very natural to me. You can fill the funnel with all kinds of like live events I mentioned or the book. There's content formats that lend themselves really well to B2B and high consideration decisions. So I get this question sometimes like, what about B2B? Like, yeah, I thought that was what I was talking about the whole time. I'm totally like a B2B content marketer. It seems like a perfect fit for content. Yeah, absolutely. And B2B being a far larger portion of the economy than B2C. So we're going to spend a little bit of time here continuing on the similar thread of how social media affects SEO. And, and you have a great post about this that you wrote on your website. We're going to link to this in the show notes. And we'll just kind of break this out a little bit because I read this and you know, I get all your stuff and enjoy all of it. But I read this one and kind of had like an aha moment. I think I even tweeted at you guys about how much I, how much I liked it. It hit home for obvious reasons. It, it was a really nice explanation of how the work that, or not only this, but at least through my lens, it was kind of how the work that we do on paid social can, can affect and, and lift some of the work that you do on SEO and vice versa. So again, we'll link to this. The title of the post is How Does Social Media Affect SEO? Andy, why don't you just take us through a couple of key points? Yeah. So I've heard people say, just unequivocally, you can't do search without social, right? which makes a lot of sense to me. So so if you want to lead, you need qualified visitors. If you want qualified visitors, it's very helpful to rank because visitors from search are very qualified. They have intent, whatever they want. They just typed it into a box in Google. So if you want to rank, you need two things. You need relevance and authority. Authority, of course, is a major part of Google search ranking algorithm. So for that, you need and, and when I'm talking about links, so then you get to this question of why do people link to things? And there's two reasons. One, there's something worth linking to. And two, they knew about it. They were aware of it. Mm-hmm. So you get to this point of like, how do you build relationships with content creators? This is also known as digital PR. This is known as blogger relations. And this is why you quickly go- conclude that you can't really do search without social because you need to have lots of relationships with content creators. You need to always be collaborating. You need to find super specific targeted people who are going to love that thing you just made and you're going to reach out to them. And back in the day, you could reach out to people like what, by the phone or fax or knock on their door? <laughs> yeah, right? direct mail. Yeah. They're like, But now because of social, we have so many little ways to connect with people. You can write comments, you can share, you can like their stuff, you can interact, you can send connection requests, you can, you know, all these different networks and places. So basically, the people who are really good at search understand authority and links, and they understand that that comes from relationships. Therefore, they are also very active, very targeted, very engaged in social media. Makes sense. So share these things out on social media, either directly with a person or even just posting it maybe, and then content creators will see it because you call them out to it or they're interested in what you're writing generally. They may link to it separately. They may share it as well. And then the kind of flywheel starts. So that is basically summarized in your post, sharing leads to links and higher rankings. Um, and, and then, you know, there's, there's been research on this, certainly, and, and you link to some of, the, some of the best research in your posts. But how do we know, you know, a good post is a good post. So Google's going to know via its algorithm that it's a great post for all these reasons, whether or not it gets shared on social media. If it's also a good post and people are tweeting it and retweeting it, how do we know that, like, what causes the other versus just being like, 
it's a good post. So it does well on social and does well on search and they're just correlated. Right. This is a super interesting part of content, right? Because what correlates with performance in search versus performance in social, I think that they're very different channels. I think in search, the content that tends to work best is content that answers questions. In social, what tends to work best is content that triggers a bit of emotion because search is about meeting expectations and social is about being a little bit unexpected. So they're kind of opposite channels in some ways, like the way that you target people. In search, people are busy. In social, people are sometimes bored, right? It's like there's totally different psychologies of people in these channels. And they are, you know, it's people tapping on glass versus people typing on a keyboard. So you get to this idea of like, how do you target people? And I've learned a lot of what I know about this from you. So we're talking to Chris Madden here. Just look at, <laughs> just talk to this guy if you had questions. But basically, in when you target people in search, you know everything about what they're thinking because they typed it on their keyboard, but you know nothing about who they are. In social, you know everything about who they are, but nothing about what they're thinking. You can target super specific people, but you don't necessarily know what's top of mind for them in that moment. Right. But still, regardless, right, if they correlate because they, they both, like shares and rankings are both somewhat based here on quality, on connecting with an audience on people engaging with the content, on the headline being non-boring and the content being useful or interesting or entertaining. So if something is getting a lot of shares, that just that just means it's you're on the right track. If something is also ranking, that means that you indicated relevance and you wrote it in a way that answers questions and people who land on it are going deeper into the content. So it's such an interesting topic, right? Search versus social. It's like text versus visuals. It's like busy versus bored. It's keyboards versus the mouse. It's so fascinating, right? Yeah, and then there's like different vectors within it, like organic versus paid and B2B yeah. versus B2C. Another one that I've learned about from you that I really appreciate and I think really helps us think through this is the difference between informational searches and transactional searches. As you've explained in informational, and Google, I think, has this exact same construct within their business that they define different searches with, is it an informational intent or a transactional intent? Like they might buy something soon. Seems like a lot of what we're talking about here is informational searches. People are trying to learn something. And that often happens at the beginning of like a highly researched, highly considered decision. Is that all on target? Yeah. Keywords are intent. Every keyword indicates the intent of that person. So every act of keyword research is about understanding what that person wants. And it tends to be either Technically, there's a third type of key phrase or a third type of intent, which is the navigational query, which is less important in digital because usually that's like the name of the brand. Right. But there'd be navigational information and transactional as in go, know, and do. So if you just think of it that way and go look at your own browser history, like you can quickly realize that everything that you search for indicates some intent. And that intent is 80% of the time you're just looking for information and maybe 20% of the time you're trying to take an action, make a decision. You've got uh, your wallet out or you're serious about uh, maybe buying something or becoming a lead. That's great. And so navigational is, of course, how do I get to X place? Yeah. And if you're that brand, you want to have a great local SEO presence. So you have a map with a pin on it or something like that. Is that yep. the navigational yep. concept? So AAA plumbing is navigational. Chicago plumber is transactional. You don't know a brand yet. Mm -hmm. You're solution aware, but not brand aware. And then why does my sink smell weird? <laughs> That's like informational, right? That person doesn't have... They want to solve the problem themselves. It's a DIY person. They just want an answer to a question. So it's either the brand phrase, the dollar sign, or the question mark. The navigational, the transactional, or the informational. 
that is awesome. That is super interesting and helpful. Just to be clear on this one, and sometimes Google is a little bit purposefully nebulous maybe about revealing what's going on behind the algorithm, but is it, isn't it it not Google's current public statement that social signals are not included in the algorithm at this point? Yeah. I mean, I don't react too much or put a lot of stock in basically like Google's press releases, but that's sort of what they say is like, they're not counting likes somewhere. Uh, these are not part of an algorithm. There's no causation officially between rank, between any kind of social interaction and high rankings. Mm-hmm. And then really, how would there be, right? Google Plus is done. Yep. So you'd think that like Google's trying to crawl and analyze every Facebook post. There's no way. Yeah. So really bottom line, I mean, it's uh, Google cares about three things, links and authority, relevance and keywords. And then the third factor is like user interaction signals. Like if someone clicked from search, did they stay on the page for a long time or did they hit the back button after two seconds? That's where you get into why social is so important. It's an indicator of quality. You know, if something is connecting with an audience, that's a sign that that thing is probably going to get good user interaction signals and it's going to be engaging. That's the type of content that the quality content that Google is looking for. So that sort of quality and those indicators of quality are relatively fundamental. And you could argue that they haven't really changed much over the years. You mentioned Google Plus. We're recording this in late October of 2018 and Google Plus was recently sunsetted. So we know that the social landscape in particular changes all the time. Facebook changes frequently. There's a lot going on there, of course, things in the news. How has this changed in the past two or three years, given that landscape? Well, they both share one common theme, which is an algorithm. So there's, a, there's an algorithm in social, there's an algorithm in search, and we are all at the whim of these giant companies, and they decide who gets what kind of organic reach. They both make money from paid, so they both want you to go into paid, mm-hmm. but Facebook and Google, it's a giant advertising duopoly, and we have to live within that world. You know, we live on their planet. So it has changed a lot. I mean, if you're frustrated as a marketer about the throttling back of Facebook's organic reach, that is absolutely, there's a, there's a perfect corollary in Google as well, because Google keeps putting more and more features onto a search results page, images and maps and ads and answers. To questions. answers. Oh my God. Yeah. Featured snippets, all this stuff. But it's definitely true that the visual noise inside a search result is just so much more than it used to be that now you can look at it and basically like um, 50% of all the clicks within a Google search result page are on Google products or a Google ad. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's not going to get any easier. It's not going to get any better. They're all trying to push us toward spending some advertising dollars. And there are certain industries in which that is especially true, right? Yeah. Depend- well, in Google, it's relative to the key phrase. So search for a commercial intent key phrase. This is actually exactly what we were just talking about. Search for a commercial intent key phrase, and you'll see way more visual noise in the search result. Search for an information intent key phrase, and you'll just see a lot more content. The organic listings will be much higher up on the page. So yeah, those commercial intent key phrases, they've got like products at the top and ads and products on the side and like the carousel, like all this other stuff. So yeah, if they think they can make money from it, they're going to try to help the person find a product and they're going to make money on the click as they go to that product. Right. So local services would be one example. You mentioned a plumber, things like locksmiths where people are trying to game the system are now being like Google has basically shut all that down and turned it into its own little playground. Travel is another one that we're familiar with. If you want to book a hotel room or a flight, Google's trying to take more and more of that experience and 
getting paid more on the back end for the click they're delivering to the supplier. Yep. And that the key word there was experience because you can go farther into the experience of making a decision about a reservation, a ticket, a table at a ho- at a restaurant within Google, right? So you can use Google to make the reservation. You can Google flights, like all the, the pricing decisions, qualification, dis- disqualification happen within a Google experience. So just watch how much more time you're spending inside Google as you take actions, right? Or they're putting ads inside the local search results in the map, you know, all of these different things. I saw, I opened a map the other day and I saw like a push pin for Jimmy John's, <laughs> which is a horrible sandwich restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an ad, like it's a push pin. Like the, they have so much of our attention. They are going to put ads in so many places that it really is important for anyone listening to this to work with an agency or a pro that is watching the trends on paid because there's going to be a ton of innovation there in the next few years. And it's the guys like, uh, Chris, you're well positioned for this, right? You just got to like know what what else you can put, where else you can put it. That's uh, the big trend. For sure. I remember years ago when first Facebook first came out with business pages and somebody said, you know, for some businesses, this page is going to be more important than their website. And now we see Google making this play where it pulls more and more information off of your website. Like if you're a restaurant, you know, your hours of operation, your address, your menu are all going to be there. And they're basically making it unnecessary for people to visit your website in some cases. How do you see that as far as is the Google listing as important, more important? Like people are just getting less traffic to their website. How do you see that playing out? Well, it changes the role of the website in in the digital marketing strategy because it, as it turns out, part of the function of your website is to package up information that can be extracted from Google and shown in a Google search result. So like we have a mutual client and friend who has a website that is a bar and they have events at that bar and the bar's website has to package up the information about those events so that those events can appear in a Google search result when someone searches for the neighborhood plus events, right? This yep. is in Wrigleyville. So you search yes. for Wrigleyville events. And if you're not giving Google your information in a way using tags and structured markup and schema to give Google information in a way that lets them put those events right into Google search results, you're at a disadvantage. So we all have to not just think of our websites as a visitor's experience, but as like a sort of an RSS feed that it gives information to these companies in ways that they can extract it and display it in their in their websites, you know, on google.com. So that's just the reality of it. You're kind of screwed if your business involved giving people small amounts of information like weather yeah. or prices, you know, for things. But you can still be benefited, especially the B2B marketer who has deep expertise, you're answering tough questions. You know, Google can't show a snippet that says how social media affects SEO. That's like a, you know, takes several minutes to explain that. Yeah. So I encourage people to go into deeper topics, long form content, encyclopedic pages that answer things from every possible angle. You're going to be much more secure in the long run by um, taking on bigger content challenges than just offering sound bites. You mentioned the advertising duopoly, and we've been talking a bit about ways in which Google's taking over more and more of the real estate on the uh, search engine result page. And certainly watching the news, Facebook and Google, there's tons and tons of angles on which pushback is starting to come for the you know, centralized power that these two companies have, whether it relates to data uh, or anything else. We asked how you thought this has changed in the past few years. What do you see happening in the years to come? You mean the battle between Google and Facebook? 
Google and Facebook or other, like, will people care enough? Is there an alternative that will bubble up that will threaten Google and Facebook? Is there going to be some extreme change that will kind of turn this on its head? Well, I remember when I saw how Snapchat became popular and people were using it, and then Facebook or Instagram launched Instagram stories, and then they crushed Snapchat within like a few months. Yeah. When that happened, I remember like stepping back from my screen thinking, it's over. The, the battle has ended. You know, there's like X number of companies that control the internet, and I don't see anybody dethroning them. How could you possibly build a system that competes? I mean, once Google has mapped all the knowledge, all the information through structured data and whatever else, you couldn't really come up with a product that would, or a service that would compete with Google or Facebook very easily. I think that these are likely to be the same companies that control the internet and control our attention for at least the next several decades. Wow. I think that there is some voices bubbling up that think that there is going to be some large change. I mean, the word blockchain definitely comes to mind as something that people are seeing as like a web 3.0 that will allow you to kind of take back the control. I think that though there's some trouble with that, as you're kind of pointing out, and that Google has made such an incredible product. It's all the world's information at your fingertips. And so that is an amazing thing to have for free. And what you're giving up in exchange for that is all this data, or excuse me, all of your data. You get a lot of convenience. Like how many of us really turn off you know, location awareness on our phones? Because I mean, I don't, because I prefer my map to work well and my suggestions when I search for something to be localized. It will require the consumers somehow to throw up their hand and say, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We're going to give away, we're going to give up this huge free product because I don't want to be advertised to, which people have not done on TV or anything else. I mean, so it'll be interesting to see, to watch how it plays out. How do you see any of these things affecting your clients when you're building a website? Anybody who wants a website, uh, certainly highly recommend Orbit Media. We're always referring anybody who is a fit that we come across to them. You get all this amazing thinking that uh, Andy is sharing with us right now, kind of baked into the process of your website being built. But how do these various factors, you know, like I'm thinking about on social media, the old like plus ones and like like buttons you could put on your own pages and that that is kind of no longer seems like a best practice. What are, what are you doing now when you're building a site to kind of reverse engineer these effects? Well, there are two main goals for every, every action we take in digital, whether it's building a platform, designing a website, creating a social strategy. We're basically trying to, trying to both attract visitors and convert those visitors into people who take action. So as we drive traffic, you know, we have to consider paid and organic. We have to consider search and social influencer marketing, all the other possible possible ways to drive traffic. And websites can work well or work, work with or against our, those goals. Uh, a well-designed website involves a step where you research key phrases. You understand all the commercial intent key phrases that your audience might be searching for. You validate whether or not you have a chance of ranking for those key phrases. If yes, then you build a sitemap that has a page for each of those phrases. The content on those pages has to be great answers to those questions and have a decent word count and indicate relevance in the title, header, body text, and so forth. So that's designing search-friendly websites. The conversion optimization, the second half, right? That was the cheese. Now here's the mousetrap. The conversion optimization is when you're aligning everything with, with, with psychology. Why did the person visit? What are their top questions? What might stop them from taking an action? What are their possible objections? How well did we build trust? Did we add evidence? Are the calls to action com- uh, compelling? Did we remember to 
leverage scarcity and indicate urgency or all the millions of little things, right, that are common to human psychology that have been there forever. The way in which you, you make stuff social friendly, a lot of that happens on the social platform, but social sharing is still, just look at how Medium, who spent millions in research, designed their site, the best practices for designing a blog, it should be optimized to convert visitors into subscribers, but also you've got social sharing probably at the top of the page because people often share before reading. You've got comments and you know you, you choose the social widgets that don't show low numbers if your numbers are low because mm-hmm. that's negative social proof. Yeah. Again, human psychology. So it has to do basically to make sure that you align with that company's social media strategy. You have to look into that strategy, understand what kind of content they're publishing, are people engaging with it, uh, where is it being promoted, and then the web design can kind of help amplify those effects, keeping in mind how active and where that brand is alive on social. That's great. Conversion optimization is a big area where our work overlaps. And I think in a positive way, we're often trying to get somebody to convert in a consumer setting due to traffic that comes through paid social. And as Andy just described, you can bake that into web design for whether whatever kind of website you're building and whatever kind of sales cycle you're building towards. Well, Andy, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for your time and all your help uh, in this podcast and uh, stretching back years. Andy and I met I don't know, man, probably like eight or nine years ago or something like that. Long time. Uh, Yeah. Todd Gettlefinger, who is the CEO of Orbit Media, uh, was a fraternity brother of my stepbrother. Uh, So that sounds disconnected. Yeah, it sounds disconnected, but it wasn't. And and it's not. Todd hired me like 15 years ago to do a consulting project for him. And I believe Orbit was also a client of Todd's. And So it's funny how that works in a a big city like Chicago feels like a small town when you work in the same business. So thank you for facilitating that for everybody. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we wrap up? No, but uh, it's just what we're doing now. I got to recommend to anybody out there, just meet people that you get along with and make something with them. (laughs) Do this. (laughs) Do what Chris just did. I loved this. This time we just spent together. It's the best part of marketing. Great advice. Well, thank you so much again, Andy. Really appreciate it. 